Hey, hey, and welcome to episode 13 of the Thodcast. I'm Philip Elke, your host of the Thodcast Conversations about Animation. We are here to talk about a very special film, an animated film, and the namesake for this here program. First off, though, I am joined by my brother, Dawson. Hey, hey, it's Fad Dawson, and we're, yes, here to talk about uh, an animated film. I'm just repeating everything you just said. Yes, the namesake of the show, because we're going to talk about, uh, because this show has completely fallen apart. No, not the show. The movie has completely <laughs> fallen apart and disintegrated and melted ever since its release. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely just kidding. We're, uh, we, we love this film, and it is... Uh, we're going to talk about Frozen. Oh, we haven't introduced our third guest yet. Hi, I'm Dawson. I already said that. All right. Well, yeah, we're uh, also very happy to be joined by Jody Pulaski. How's it going? It's going great. I can't wait to dig into this topic because I know that Frozen is Philip's favorite movie. And I think we're going to go through a lot of interesting things with this film today. This podcast was founded because of Philip's single-minded devotion to this film, this watershed, this landmark in Disney animation, Frozen. So it's a very exciting discussion today and we hope you're all just ready to, ready to freeze. This yeah. might be our best podcast ever, full of the most fun facts ever. <laughs> so listen up. Yeah. This, is, this is our magnum opus. It's all downhill from here. No, and, and this isn't, you know, Philip apologizes for Frozen episode either. We're, it's just going to be a regular discussion today. Uh, however, part of the conceit of this podcast was as potentially a forum for discussion on all things Frozen, uh, a sort of platform for the Frozen fandom, uh, such as it is. You know, I love animation and took a special interest in animation sort of following uh, just my unconditional love for the movie Frozen. But um, now he, here we are finally discussing, getting around to discussing this film. And uh, it's 2019. Why wasn't this episode one? I don't know. Uh, but well, you didn't have Jody, so that's good. That's good. That we we got to optimize that SEO. And, uh, you know, Star Wars Resistance was coming out right around that time. And The Dragon Prince was pretty fresh on Netflix and <laughs> all that stuff. Anyway, here we are now. Yeah, so uh, Frozen uh, released in the year 2013. It was the it was uh, dark, cold November day. Disney holiday release. Yeah, a uh, lot of sort of context surrounding this movie that we can discuss, and, and then we'll just be reviewing the general plot and um, providing our, our general impressions of uh, what, you know, what this movie means to us, as always. And I don't know, maybe in the future we'll have further discussions on Frozen-related topics, go into some fan-based discussions, uh, maybe as uh, bonus episodes for the Thodcast. Uh, you never know. So we'll start off. Um, Jody, you have a particular familiarity with the subject of Disney princesses, and we had an entire episode. I refer back to our episode on the uh, the idea of the Disney princess where in which we ranked all of the Disney princesses, uh, at least that was good. the main ones. That was <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Uh, and that's, that's where you first joined us, Jody. 
and and we did actually a good job on that episode too of of referring to some of the lesser known princesses as well there's a few we missed but um anyways this uh this film introduces us to uh two new female protagonists who also happen to be princesses um jody what was your thought when uh frozen came out and um where were you at in your conception of your your business uh having to do with with princesses absolutely so pretty princess parties was pretty new at the time frozen came out and i actually missed seeing it in theaters i was really wrapped up in rapunzel at the time and i didn't think frozen on the trailers looked like it would be all that interesting but I would say almost as soon as the movie came out, we started getting so many birthday requests for Elsa and Anna to come. And like, side note, we do like the off-brand. So we do the Snow Queen and the Snow Princess, but you know, they're similar to the popular renditions of Elsa and Anna. Um, but yeah, almost immediately blew up. And I would say that this movie really took my business to another level because it really not only brought kids back into this movie, but it brought kids back to princesses in general. It really, I think, created a whole generation of new Disney fans. Um, kids were wild. They're still wild about Frozen. They still sing every single song at every single event. Um, so for me, this movie was monumental um, when it came to capturing those kids' hearts with these characters. And, and what was your impression of the movie, just as an audience member? Like I said, I was a little bit hesitant um, originally because I didn't think the trailer seemed all that good. So mm -hmm. I didn't even pay to see it in theaters. I think I like <laughs> illegally watched it on some website, which I don't know if I can say that on here, but uh -oh. it's true. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Didn't throw the first stone. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Or she. Um, but yeah, so I, I ended up watching it like on the small screen after it was out on theaters. And... I loved Anna and I was like, wow, no wonder people are obsessed with this movie. Anna's so funny. Anna's so awesome. Like Kristen Bell just nailed it. But then like everyone loved Elsa. So I <laughs> think I watched it a little differently than most people, but I thought it was amazing. I watched it with my sister the first time and I thought it, it was, it's really great. I still am more of a Tangled fan, but Frozen is beautifully done and I think mm. it's, probably one of the sex most successful movies out there yeah well uh first off go support movies in theaters <laughs> to our audience um did, did you eventually pay Sign to see on it on the amc a list <laughs> i may not have paid to see it in theaters but i have bought so many products with elsa's face on it yeah. that i believe that i have supported the elsa on a brand almost yeah. more than anyone else <laughs> no no that's that's great. Um, and so, yeah, uh, incredibly influential film. One of the most successful movies of all time, not to mention animated movies. Uh, how about you, Dawson? I, did you, like, I was kind of late to seeing it in theaters myself. Did you see it fairly early on in the run? I should have, it came out in November, right? On a, yeah. On November day. I, I don't even and... remember what the date was precisely. Golly, I might have seen it in, no, okay, yes, I absolutely for sure saw it um, at, over Christmas break. So that would have been, you know, I think I saw it early January, I'm, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, first of all, I want to say I'm very grateful to the film for uh, kickstarting Jody's business like that. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. 
Yeah, uh, my story around this film is, is pretty interesting. I think it'd be pretty easy um, to kind of just over the last few years, maybe some might brand me like a frozen hater, Philip a frozen lover, and maybe Jody's kind of more moderate. I'm absolutely not a frozen hater, though. Uh, I've Like a lot of people, I've gotten sick of it. But anyway, going back to the beginning, yes. Um, uh, so I was a theater student at the time this movie came out. And um, in the basement of a building where the theater offices and the stages were, uh, these hallways were very echoey. And what theater students like to do is sing spontaneously. They like to run, through, run, run and skip through the halls and sing their favorite show tunes. So when this movie came out, it was an absolute nightmare to be a theater student uh, because suddenly here were all these girls singing these new songs uh, and I hadn't seen the film. And it made me not want to see the film, but I also am smarter than to be like, to, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna shut something off just because kids are annoying and sing the songs from it. Um, but like I was getting all these lyrics that were out of context and like, I just, I, so I was like, no, I don't, I don't want this spoiled for me and you're making it sound terrible. But, um, what I then ended up doing was I, I was on Christmas break. I was back home and I think I saw it by myself. Uh, I, I went and I loved it. And then the next day I went to hang out with a friend that I hadn't seen in years, uh, and went and saw it with her um and so i saw it twice in a row and then i might have even seen it a third time pretty quickly after that because i loved it i was really in love with the film and i am extremely extremely ashamed to admit this but after after the first viewing and after the second viewing like between the first and second viewing and then especially after the second viewing i i looped let it go hard uh, just listen to it over and over and over oh, and over. Um, and, uh, and then, and then it, and then suddenly it was everywhere and then everyone else was doing that. And then once everyone else did, and then when you couldn't escape this song, when it's melody haunted you and it's sleep and haunted, you couldn't turn a corner without hearing it. You couldn't turn on the TV or the internet without hearing it. That's when I said enough is enough. Um, Huh. And I had just, I had my full of it. I, I appreciated it enough. And I think it's just, it's this movie. So my impression of it then and now was that it's really aesthetically brilliant. Um, and it's my most recent viewing even, I, I still noticed like, okay, there are moments in the song that are just so aesthetically masterful that it goes below the kind of intellectual level and just ensnares, ensnares your, your, mind and your thinking and your hearts all at the same time and it just it plays you the music and what's happening on screen really plays you and i think that's why children i mean that's what gets children it's all this subconscious stuff you know images and sights and sound and how they respond to it um and so it's aesthetically masterful but i am not fully convinced by the plot and i am uh you know, I just, I, I, it's yeah. fine. It's like, it's a fine movie. I really enjoy watching it, but I'm, it's not, it's not genius. Your favorite. No, yeah, you yeah, might, you might say it has flaws. And I've heard, you know, comparisons to The Lion King, which was the previous most successful Disney film of all time, Disney animated film, uh, which a lot of people say just a, a glorious sort of visual masterpiece, yet, yet flawed. Um, and and you know uh, I could I could see certain flaws that you know within the arc of uh, Frozen story, but um, 
I think these are all overshadowed, at least for me, uh, very heavily by uh, the more standout elements. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think, Jody? Um, I mean, there's not too many flaws. Otherwise, this would be called the flawed cast, not the, the thought cast. <laughs> I think it was pretty amazing. And I think the little flaws are people who are, I mean, being nitpicky. If you think of some of the Disney movies that came out within the same decade of Frozen, like Home on the Range or... I mean, Frozen was astronomically better. Sure, there's little things in the plot that I would definitely tweak. There's even some songs that I would take out, but it was. And it's pretty it, bare bones on the songs then anyway. Like, there's not a whole lot of songs in there. What would you take out? The Olaf and the Trolls? Uh, yeah. I don't really like the comedic humor type stuff. And maybe when we start walking through the story, I would say that. But you want to know the story? That, the song they did want to take out was, um, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? They kept taking it out and putting it back in and taking it out and putting it back in. No, so I'm happy don't. they kept that one, but I don't like um, In Summer or Fixer Upper. Hmm. Uh, well, yeah, there's you know some question as to the, the value of, of each of these musical moments. But, and it is a, a traditional Disney movie musical. Well, the only, the only plot relevant songs are Love is an Open Door and Let It Go, right? because Let It Go reveals what Elsa's feeling and Love is an Open Door is how we see um, Anna and uh, Anna and Hans become what they become. Yeah, well, do you want to build a snowman? Is plot relevant? Um, uh, yeah, I... Oh, and, and that too, yeah, yep, yep. So, I mean, it's... Uh... Okay, so maybe I should rephrase that Hummer and uh, Troll and Fixer Up are the only not pro. But they're purely not plot. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get too light on the songs. If if you're trying to make it a musical, then it just feels odd when there is actually a song. But um, right. ultimately, now, for me, like, Disney Animation comes out with a movie. I'm there day one, if not opening weekend. Uh, but back, you know, when Frozen came out, that just wasn't the case for any of us. I'm just... Yeah. Curious as to why. I mean, there Disney's coming off of hits like uh, Wreck It Ralph and Tangled. They also had a, a new Winnie the Pooh movie in the mix there. Um, well, I like that one, which, which I actually didn't see in theaters. Uh, I saw that; it was sweet. Yeah, I've I've since seen it, but um, yeah, Tangled was really the true kind of return to form in 2010, and then they followed it up with Wreck It Ralph. Um, yeah, before Tangled, it was Princess and the Frog, and before that, it was Bolt. Um, yeah, and why I well, why I didn't why I didn't go see Disney movies opening night, or why I wasn't super excited about them. I was completely indifferent to Disney throughout high school and going into college. I mean, mm -hmm. sure, they made some fun films once in a while, but like I didn't care about them as a brand necessarily. I loved the old stuff. I, I knew how classic and I knew how important it was. But I mean, after, after Princess and the Frog, and then when I learned that they were shutting down 2D animation, that they were never gonna make a 2D film ever again, I was so bitter about that. I was like, why would you throw out a perfectly valid art form just because it isn't the most advanced modern technology possible? I mean, it's still, you can still tell a beautiful story with that. And you, you might find, I mean, what if you just, and of course they probably might, which is what if they find a story and they say, look, the best way we want to tell this is with 2D animation again, but just hearing that they were like, we're never going back to our roots. 
that made me irritated and I don't care. I'm actually not even that partial to 3D animated uh, films anyway. I, you know, they, they're great, but I mean, there's something, there's something gumby about them that, you know, I would, I'd rather watch a live action film or a 2D animated film usually, but um, mm -hmm. I mean, Tangled was, Tangled was great and Wreck-It Ralph was great, but also I didn't go to movies that much. I was in college and, you know, going to pay 20 bucks to see a film opening night, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't always an option. It had to be Star Wars to do that kind of. Mm -hmm. Or maybe Pixar. Yeah, Pixar is different because they were always, you knew they were going to blow your mind and then mm -hmm. cars happened and then Brave <laughs> happened and then a good dinosaur happened and now I'm just Pixar jaded. So. Oh, I, I love the good dinosaur. Um, Techno and, technologically astounding with no story. So, yeah. It's a, it's a nice, a little, a it's, little like, it's refreshingly gritty for uh, an animated movie. Well, gritty with nothing happening. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there was, it was maybe like, maybe if I reconceive it as like a Western and then, or a, mm -hmm. like, if, if I knew the Coen brothers had directed it, then I'd probably love it. The Good Dinosaur directed by Joel and Ethan Coen. <laughs> mm. Well, um, Side note, uh, today we've just gotten announced the uh, Oscar nominations. Did any of you guys see that? No. No. Okay. So I'm just going to go through the nominations for uh, Best Animated Feature for the uh, 2018 Academy Awards. That's technically what they're called, right? Uh, even, th even though I think there's like multiple so. award shows. Yeah. Um, okay. The so Golden Globes just happened. I guess they call it the 2019 Oscars, even though it's for the, the year of uh, 2018. The um, animated nominations are as follows. Isle of Dogs, uh, Wes Anderson's animated stop motion film from earlier in the year, last year. Also, uh, a movie called Mirai, a Japanese animated film. Oh. Japanese animated Oscar-nominated film. I'd better see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, ha you have uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, okay. Much deserved. Uh, Incredibles two, and uh, rounding out the list. What do you think, Dawson and Jody? Um, Ralph breaks the internet. Yeah, Ralph breaks the internet. Yep, Ralph breaks the internet. Makes the cut this year. Okay, cool. who do? You, which do you think? We'll take it. I mean, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse gets my vote. Is the favorite, I would say. Yeah, it won the Golden Globe. Uh, but I would be happy if, you know, Ralph or Incredibles. I mean, um, but yeah, I don't know. Disney and Pixar have sort of claimed this award, yeah, over the past several years. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd be happy with whoever gets it. <laughs> it's a strong list. Since I haven't seen Mirai, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's that good where the Oscars would be like, oh, Disney, Disney offered some wonderful uh, nominees this year, but this, this indie film is just darling. That's the one I'm going to vote for. <laughs> well, and Jody, did you see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? No, I don't want to get kicked off the Thodcast because I haven't like seen any of those movies besides Wreck-It Ralph. That's okay. I mean, you don't have to. We're just normal people. But there, we're animation critics now. Well, there are there are <laughs> a lot of people who aren't necessarily animation uh, 
enthusiasts who have gone to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and found it to be just a, a revelation, which it is. Like in my mind, this, this may be the best animated movie to come out since Frozen, in my opinion. What if yeah. Frozen was in the category this year? Would Frozen win? Well, it oh. won the year it came out. It, it did win in the 2014 Oscars for best uh, animated. Yeah, Spider-Man is like the cool big brother of Frozen where like, you is know, everyone like- like computer generated it's computer generated but it but it captures like kind of comic book aesthetic in a way that you just would be shocked i mean it's such it's such a wild ride like me as like a boy when frozen one it's like wow that girl she's really cool i kind of begrudgingly admit like how cool and amazing and astounding this this girl is but then spider-man comes out and i'm like oh that's a cool big brother i'm gonna go hang out with him now because yeah you know there's but um, and also I don't I don't think Frozen is that amazing. It's it's fantastic, but it's mm-hmm. you know I, I, I don't yeah I want to be careful. Like I want to make sure that I, everyone knows how much I appreciate and do admire and like Frozen, but that I don't think it's amazing. Yeah, I I mean, big part of my love of it comes from the the characterizations and, and of course the. The song uh, "Let It Go," which which I definitely looped quite a bit on my own as well. Uh, I picked up the soundtrack um, on a road trip, and um, oh yeah, you got so extra. I mean, you every every version that has ever been recorded, you possess and have listened to. <laughs> no, no, I mean like Christmas Christmas playlist by Philip is just "Let It Go." In every I, I went. In- <laughs> recorded the song in like 40 languages so you might have a few more to collect though yeah i did watch that i watched that youtube video gosh i'm so ashamed of myself it was like frozen in every language or let it go in every language and i watched that i i haven't watched all of those i i mean yeah i've seen that youtube video the the compilation but um there is an album on itunes that contains like every single version recorded and i've only heard a handful of those you can get like a, a 10 vinyl set. That's just let it go in every way. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the song is pretty simple. It, it gets, and it's probably worth just talking about some of the, the music before we get full on into yeah. the Can we the just plot. dig into the, the aesthetic of let it go? Like, I kind of want to dive into that because that's where yeah. I think so much and, and the... this, No, the let's start movie... at the beginning of the movie. Well, okay. We can do okay. that. Um, yes. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give Jody the the reins here. I just want to talk about how it opens up with that first song, Frozen Heart, and I thought it was going to be the most boring movie ever. I love the opening intro, you know, that... Uh, you loved sequence. it? The, well, the title That's a brilliant point, Jody. That's a brilliant point. This movie, it tricked me into thinking this was going to be like Lion King. So I was like, oh, this is going to be as good as Lion King. With that, that's the only reason it's there is to trick you into thinking that this movie is going to be Oscar worthy and amazing. Yeah, there, it's this movie is, like on everything you just mentioned, line. everything you just mentioned came true. I mean, it grossed more than Lion King. It also won Oscars, um, you know, right? it's very well It received. did come true and it yeah. worked. But, but this movie has three beginnings. It's like they couldn't make up their mind. Do we want to start with this epic like angel chorus? Or do we want to start with like gruff ice pickaxes? Or do we want to start with the princesses? And they're like, let's just start with all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's innovation. <laughs> I, well, it's like, well, I mean, this is an amazing, very progressive. Uh, one of my favorite things ever 
Indiana Jones. When John Williams was composing the main theme for Indiana Jones, he brought two options to George and was like, which one do you like? And George was like, I love them both. Can you just use them both? So then, yeah, he used both themes. Um, really? John, John, I so think, was it? Uh, the, yeah, the different ones. So, so one, one theme was da 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 And then the other theme was da 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 Da, 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 da. It was Spielberg who made the call, right? Was it Spielberg? Oh yeah, yeah not Lucas. He doesn't have anything to do with it except for aliens. But anyway, <laughs> back to Jody. Back to the beginning of the film. Yeah. Oh uh, wait, we were all kind of just very, like, very poetic, movie. very epic. Well, Disney yeah. has like they have a flair for making their films, designing them after event pieces. Uh, you know, blockbusters a la Indiana Jones, Star Wars, you know, Jurassic Park. They're, they like having those moments of just grandeur to to start things off, you know, replete with um, sort of alternate logos, company logos, which they didn't do for Frozen. Like it's it's the standard castle played underneath the uh, the soundtrack that um, is is this strange like chorus vocalization that um, I found, uh, you know, unusual when I first saw the film. I, it sounded like Native American singing or something. Like it, I, yeah, well, I was like instantly, oh, as a huge Skyrim fan, I was like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, they went with this like Nordic ancestral chant, kind of like back to the, the, the pre, like the pagan uh, roots of, you yeah. know, like Celtic and, and sort of, and just, Oh, I'm not making any sense, but you know what I mean. It was like that is one. what it is. I know, I know exactly it, what you're talking that, about. It has a different feel than the. Oh. It's a what? <laughs> Sorry, I no. What did you say? What, no, what did you say? I was gonna say I totally agree with uh, what you're saying, Dawson. Like I remember hearing that song, not knowing really anything else about the movie, and then all the rest of the songs didn't seem to quite line up with that. No, absolutely not. That, feel. that that song set a tone that was completely different from the tone that the ice song set. And then the rest of the movie was a completely different tone from the tone that the ice song set. So it was like, yeah, I'm not gonna... saying it's a bad song. I just don't, for me, it didn't like, as the movie played on, I was like, that was not an appropriate opener for me, but. It, it you know, and I would, well, I want to agree that it wasn't fully appropriate, but at the set, like, I like how much it is independently. And then they brought it back. And so like my, and it plays at the end. So this most recent time viewing the movie, it's kind of like, you know how I envisioned it. I guess it was it was it was Elsa's power singing, like the force behind Elsa's power is this angelic. There are the, there are spirits. There are spirits in the will of the wisps or something that are whatever is in whatever entities in the spiritual realm in charge of magic. They're the ones singing, introducing you to the story, um, and then they're the ones that guide you out of it. The power of the um, aurora borealis. The, the oh. song of the aurora borealis there you go um yeah. does that is does it make it frustrating that it's tonally dissonant you know i well okay i'll say this i would like it if frozen was more like that music but the movie that we have is about is about it's about family and that's what's so powerful about it um <laughs> yes uh, vin what yes vin vin vin, vin diesel vin? no that's that's Carrie Fisher. It's oh, about family. Well, that's yeah, what's so great about it. The more famous, uh, you know, theme thematic uh, shoehorning of family into 
you know, film comes, of it's course, from. Fast and Furious. Yeah. It's about family. <laughs> At the end of the day. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's. True. I am Groot. <laughs> the the I love just yeah the sheer concentration of aesthetic power and in multiple sort of ways uh, that that get gets implemented in this film at, at the risk of seeming dissonant or incongruous at times um, is is really something that appeals to me. It, it does take risks. Um, and, and because the emotion of this film works to such a high degree, it's able to um, manage like all of these disparate elements uh, contain, you know, joined into one. It's a testament just to the ability of this movie to take abstract ideas right. and, and create something relatable. It really wants to spread its emotional reach. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it does to to various degrees of success. I yeah. Mean, it, yeah, it really kind of wanted to, to capture a lot of, it wanted to tell the story of love at first sight. It wanted to tell this, it, this movie, oh my gosh, it's, it's insane. And I'm not, whether this works or not, but you're watching this movie and it's like, it somehow manages to tell the story of, of love at first sight and getting married after a day and how that's, a, it tells that story. Then it tells that that's a bad idea, but then it happens again in the in a in like a good way because that's exactly what happened they don't get married it's, right away mm-hmm. but she falls in love with Kristoff as quickly as she fell in love with hans so it's yeah. like it's kind of it's, it's uh subverses its own ideals but then reverts back to them. it's it's a hall of mirrors you know infinitely receding sort of uh subversion <laughs> Of, uh, it's like, of, like the scene when and when Ray looks in, at the mirror and sees herself and snaps her fingers. That's frozen. Mm-hmm. More, more. It, it's a ballad of extremes, and and aware of its own tropes and, and stereotypes, and in and it's and very aware of its efforts to subvert those, but then aware of its bondage to those and how like emotionally true they are and how much we want them even though we like don't believe in them kind of would you does that make sense or it's a lot to swallow but it makes total sense (laughs) the problem with cliches is that they're often yeah utterly pedantic you can no it's all true it's a lot it's a lot to condense and make concise but i i'm I'm agreeing and nodding i know the podcast listeners can't see me but i'm nodding over here soaking it in We've sort of covered a lot of the metaphorical basis for this film. Um, so we'll get more straightforward, uh, moving forward. If we don't do something soon, we'll all freeze to death. You want to talk about a problem? I sell ice for a living. Ooh, that's a rough business to be in right now. I mean, that is really, mm, that's unfortunate. My lady. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Huh, this is awkward. <laughs> Not you're awkward, but just because we're, I'm awkward. You're gorgeous. Wait, what? Hi, everyone. I'm Olaf. Ah! Hi. You're creepy. Whoa. I don't want whoa, whoa. it. No. All right, we got off to a bad start. This uh, is ultimately a fairy tale, fairly straightforward, about the themes of love and fear. Um, you know, we're dealing with the uh, convergence of extremes, hot and cold, um, you know, love and hate or love and fear. Um, and, you know, we, we're... Uh, sorry. A lot of ice metaphors. So this movie came about in an attempt to adapt, of course, the Hans Christian Andersen classic short novel, 
um, The Snow Queen, uh, which is about two young kids who get um, captured and enchanted by a, by a snow queen out in the wilderness. It's sort of the whole enchanted castle hidden away from the rest of the world dynamic that you find in a lot of uh, the Disney fairy tales, Beauty and the Beast, you know, there's the uh, enchanted castle out in the woods. Rapunzel, Gothel's Tower, Beast's Castle, etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they ended up making significant changes to the original story in this movie. Um, they created, you know, the Kingdom of Arendelle, um, and that's the setting of the scenes involving royalty and... Uh, you know, there's there is an enchanted castle later on in the film uh, when when one of the um, royal one of the members of the royalty goes off. Elsa, she. Uh, but it isn't there because some sociopath decided to squat when the land value depleted. Like all these enchanted castles are basically mini Detroit's in Disney. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, amazing, beautiful building, but it's only worth two thousand dollars because the land is crap. <laughs> yeah, right, real estate. So, yeah, the the changes to the plot came we well very late in the uh, conception of the this movie adaptation. Uh, Jody, um, it wasn't on the episode we were just talking earlier about how it was originally maybe going to be a, a short film. Yeah, I remember reading a little bit about it because I had seen the like PBS version of the Snow Queen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had Googled that and they said that when Walt Disney was alive, he had started development on a Snow Queen short back in, I think it was like 1938 or 1939. Mm. Um, but they never uh, completed that. So it was obviously a story that was sort of on their minds for a really long time before bringing it to life. And like mm -hmm. I said to you, I think I'm really happy that they waited um, until now to to make the feature film because uh, of the way they were able to make the snow and everything like that with technology. It's just so beautiful that I think it came out at the exact right time it needed to come out for Disney. No, they could have nailed this in 1998. What was that one, Veggie Tales with the with the puppet <laughs> when they go up to the North Pole? That snow was amazing. <laughs> utterly photorealistic oh. snow effects. And the um, Academy Award goes to VeggieTales. Yeah. Well, nineteen ninety-eight was the release of Tarzan, which uh, was directed by one of the co-directors of Frozen. So it, it shares some of the same. Oh, uh, which one? Ray of Jennifer DNA. Or Chris the... Buck. Chris Buck. Uh, the Frozen was co-directed by Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck. Jennifer Lee also wrote the screenplay. First. Uh, Disney film to have a screenplay since the first Disney film to have a screenplay to, the first Disney film to have a, uh, a female written screenplay since Beauty and the Beast uh, the production or, or sort of the development on bringing the Snow Queen to life in feature animation form began in earnest in uh, the late 2000s when John Laster recruited directors Kirk Wise and Gary Trousdale, uh, directors of Beauty and the Beast and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, as well as Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Uh, and Hold up. The, the same dudes <laughs> who direct Beauty and the Beast direct Atlantis? Yeah, I mean, Atlantis is great. No, it's, it's not. Just a well, 
it's ambitious and like it my problem with atlantis is it feels like uh you know dc comics special um just it doesn't have the same weight as like a a disney animated film should just sort of like a and the ingredients were there Mm -hmm. but it sat in the oven a little too long (laughs) and there the frame there are such still frames uh the the quality and and animation just kind of yeah it's it doesn't feel very theatrical um and yeah a lot a lot of those you know comic book spin-off animated films you know are are very very good but they can be very hit and miss as well um producer don hahn and linda wolverton uh linda wolverton who who wrote beauty and the beast uh and this this was following a fairly serious attempt in in the early 2000s but that it was scrapped um shortly after when um famous disney animator glenn Keane uh left like he left the studio around that time um but he did remain to um to complete some of the concepts for tangled Um, were they trying to make uh, Snow Queen before Tangled at, a, at any point? Or? Well, well, yeah, I think with I, I imagine Disney has always had sort of a slate of classic fairy tales that, that are always sort of rolling around in the hopper. They so have who, a Plinketto board. They just, <laughs> alright, what's next? Let's pick one. We've got 800. <laughs> exactly. So it's really hard to say exactly when a lot of these ideas sort of reach fruition. Uh, but you know, th- there was this this attempt in the late two thousands, um, which which is ultimately what became Frozen, uh, Gary Trousdale, Kirk Wise. But for some reason, they um, they left. The film was placed on hold, but only briefly when Chris Buck and Jennifer Lee were brought in. And then I think it was, I guess, n- no one knows who came up with the idea of changing the main characters to sisters. Um, but that became a much needed um, source of reinvigoration for the the project. Um, and the development of Frozen was back on track. Um, and then... Uh, I to put you back on schedule. <laughs> yeah. the impossible. Yeah. The sisters. Exactly. So, and John Laster came up with a very influential idea, which was to make Elsa, you know, being the antagonist of the film, to make her somewhat sympathetic. Um, that that this, uh, you know, that, so she was just straight up villain at one point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and see, that's so dope. Like, I'm glad they did something. I'm glad it's what it is and that they did something different. But like, I feel like in the sticking to the core of the original story, there's probably some dope stuff that could have happened, but it doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. Well, with the original, I think concept art, when they were thinking of her as the villain Dawson, um, her cloak was supposed to be made out of like moving mink, like <laughs> animals. Did you oh ever read Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's supposed to be made out of like live. Falling over each other. Yeah. We yeah. are the flesh of the fallen. The heights of the slain. We cling to our master. We are bound forever. 
Yeah. And she had like weird swoopy Jimmy Neutron hair kind of mm-hmm. uh, and their skin, oh, skin is blue. See that hair. Yeah. Jimmy, your swoopy hair. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I don't think her voice was ever gonna be like it's that. A great Carl. Oh great. Yeah. <laughs> um there's yeah. awesome there's that's a meme. Uh Carl uh so and so song, but sung by Carl Weezer, <laughs> so we'll look that up. Anyway. Um, well then, what, where, where, was it about like Sven and Anna had to escape? No, sorry, Kristoff. Kristoff and Anna, did they have to like escape the queen or did they have to fight the queen or did Aslan have to come back and give them swords and bows and then lead an army against the queen or? There, there was something to do with an army of snow people, like, like, um, the original design for marshmallow i think was originally conceived for like an army of, of oh. snow beasts an army of abomination abominable snow people yeah the bl- they march we call it the blizzard the great winter winters come oh they they were you they were totally trying to ride the game of thrones thing for like but like for kids probably at a certain point mm-hmm like yeah, I, but they couldn't have sold Elsa if she was a villain. So they got they ended up with two beautiful protagonists. Yeah, double, they made the right choice as far as like the the brand because I think having sisters and like loving sisters was a real a real reason a lot of people flocked to this movie. So it's, they made the right choice by yeah. making Elsa good. It was a story that we needed at so, the time. So the original Snow Queen features or it centers around. Isn't it a brother and sister? It's a boy yes. and a girl. Uh, yep. uh, Gerda and Kai are their names. Gerda and Kai. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are characters named after these characters in Frozen. Their, their names are never spoken. Kai is the, the servant who awakens uh, Anna at the start of the film. Oh, was I the guy who saw the who was like open the door and then saw Anna and and Hans run run off and then he's like, oh, those royals just <laughs> that that was like, a guard everywhere you turn. <laughs> that was a guard. He also has that line at the end of the movie where he's like, Arendelle will no longer be doing business of any kind with Weasel Town. Oh yeah, who's that voice actor? I feel like they just had someone in production like record like. <laughs> I mean. He was- Plenty the most of basic, like there were plenty of cameos. Stephen J. Anderson is the name of the actor. Oh, well done. Who plays plays Kai? Uh, oh, he he was yeah. He's the director of Meet the Robinsons, Winnie the Pooh, Emperor's New Groove. He he was a crewman on. So uh, yeah, he's he's uh, production <laughs> staff. Um, at least at Disney Animation. I don't know what his role production-wise would have been on Frozen. Yeah, no. um, Chris Chris Williams, he's also a director at Disney who voiced Oaken. Um, but then you also have the likes of Ciaran Hines, who plays Pobby, the, the head troll. Wait, um, what? Oh, that, so, that was Ciaran Hines. Okay. Yeah, um... God, what's his name in in Game of Thrones? He's got the like most oh, BA name. Oh yeah. Um, um, oh my gosh, Jody, what's his name? I've Did never I, seen Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Uh, um, the the lead, the king of the king in the north, the true king. Um, 
Kurt Kurt <sighs> Dick Leiter. Oh, frick, no. what? Oh, Mance Raider. Yeah, yeah. Mance Raider. Awesome McCool name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like Flynn. It's literally Flynn Rider. Just. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan Alan Tudyk is the voice of Duke Wesselton. Uh, Santino Fontana, voice of Hans. Josh Gad, Jonathan Gr- Josh Gad is Olaf. Jonathan Groff as Kristoff. Idina Menzel is Elsa, and Kristen Bell is Anna. Um, the latter five that I just mentioned have all had careers on Broadway. You know, Hold on, a guy named Santino Fontana gave voice to Hans the most bread and butter white boy voice ever <laughs> yep like, oh wow that's awesome mm-hmm. hi so. i'm santino fontana what's mm-hmm. your name i think this is where i get to throw in my fun fact yes kristen bell who is the voice of anna mm-hmm. she made it really far in the auditions to be the voice for um rapunzel entangled but she didn't get the part and then hey uh, my girl mandy Sorry, what? <laughs> That's just my one fun fact that I think people are yeah. going to want to know about the voiceovers. Well, Adina <laughs> Menzel also auditioned for the role. Uh, yeah, both actresses uh, were, were up for the part. But yeah, may, possible that Kristen got a little farther. Um, I don't know. That's where my Adina fun fact ends. Wait, for, for <laughs> Rapunzel? What's that? Adina didn't audition for Rapunzel. They, yep, they both did. I think they she both did. I think both Rapunzel. of them had the dream of voicing a Disney princess, which, I mean, honestly, a lot of people probably dream of being yeah. that forever. <laughs> Who hasn't dreamed of being a Disney princess? No one I know. I have a dream. I want to sing. What is that from? Uh, yeah, Holy Grail. <laughs> oh. But I don't want to get married, Father. I want to... No, no, no singing. <laughs> anyway. Um, dang. But I, I feel mean, like Adina could just walk into Disney and ask for a part and then give it to her, though, I would think, you know. Like, she's elf. You would think so, because she was coming off of such a, like, a monumental uh, role as Alphaba, the lead in the original cast of Wicked. Yeah. I think you would be able to just walk over to Disney and be like, hey, I'm ready. And they would have had a part set for her. Um, but maybe, they, maybe yeah. they knew they were working on this at the same time and they knew she would have been a better fit for more of a less peppy, more regal that, character. Yeah. She, the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Rapunzel did not. Did not yeah. She actually um, is in, Adina Menzel is in the movie Enchanted. So she briefly oh. does play a Disney animated character when she, at the end, goes to Enchantia or whatever the the land is for Giselle. Oh, you yeah. Play mm-hmm. Who does she play in Enchanted? She is in the real world. She is the fiance of the lead male. Does oh, that make sense? Patrick. Okay, so she's like kind of a, that bad bad guy bad. she's not really like a bad girl she just isn't like she's the right fit. she's not his true love and then so she ends up going to the animated world at the very end and marrying the animated prince so maybe that's when adina menzel got a taste of this like oh. life and fell in love with it well she was able to provide a, a degree of vulnerability um to 
what is otherwise a very powerful character. Um, I, I think a big part of her casting came from just her sheer dynamic range. Yeah, very um, vulnerable yet harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, the director, Chris Buck, uh, believed that Menzel's vocals would help in the portrayal of the character and uh, that, you know, they needed someone who could portray both sides of the character. Um, she's a very strong character, but someone who lives in fear. Um, and, and very similar in uh, personality to Alphaba from Wicked. You know, someone who, who's constantly sort of living in the shadows because of some perceived affliction or malformity. Yeah, and even their power ballads seem really similar, Define Gravity and Let It Go. Mm. They really know how to tap into these songs that showcase her talent for vocals. Yeah, I mean, I consider the two as companion pieces, honestly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, they're very similar. And if the, the songwriting came late in the process, I mean, obviously, probably, they were doing that, yeah, you know, there were several turning points in the development as we listed, but um, the latest of which was the song Let It Go, which enabled Elsa to become an empowered character, you know, less, less of a straight villain and more of, you know, this, this celebrated figure. Um, but yeah. that, that occurred only about a year away from release. So significant rewrites had to take place with the film nearly completed. So they were in a mad rush uh, towards the end. Um, Yikes. And yeah, th thankfully, like when it comes to animation, you know, you have all the character models built and rigged. Uh, the sets are in place. So you can have a few like really last minute changes without affecting it too much. But um, it's, uh, <laughs> it is such an arduous process that, that it is hard to, to be too flexible. I wonder without the song Let It Go, if Frozen would have reached the same peak of popularity. I know Dawson talked about it earlier, but I, I wonder had they not put that song in there, if the movie would have... I mean, I'm sure it would have still been successful, but I, I do think that song and that, that costume change moment, that transformation yep. moment, <laughs> is really like a pivotal piece of the puzzle. So I, I'm curious what they had in there before. It would be really fun to read the original script or the original in progress yeah. script. The, the notes that the songwriters, uh, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez had on that scene were, you know, this is Elsa's badass song. You know, so it's more, more or less a villain song, but they knew that Elsa was meant to be a bit more sympathetic. So not, not purely a villain song in the classic sense. But it did end up being sort of this very pivotal moment for the character, um, where she's you know coming to grips with um, a lot of the emotional uh, ish baggage that she's retained from childhood, um, and just ended up being this really cathartic moment that really did provide the centerpiece for the entire film. Yeah, aesthetic catharsis is that is the the 
kind of the black hole epicenter that the entire galaxy of the film just circles around. Um, yeah, I think all of the film's success really springs forth from this moment. Yeah. I'm never going back to passage in the past when she undoes her hair and the music. It's just that like single moment. Just it, mm -hmm. it's like almost like no matter who you are, that has the ability to just send shivers up your spine. Yeah. Like I, I think you know it, whether you're whether you're buying it or not. It's just like it. Ha it's what it is. It's without like, this moment, without this the song "Let It Go," you can take Frozen's box office numbers and reduce them by half at least because the rest of the film is pretty i mean they run away from wolves they you know run they run on they're running on sven uh sven is running on snow a lot yeah i do think though the is still another like moment like having the true love become the villain that little plot twist <laughs> spoilers another like strong moment later on in there yeah. Because I, I, honestly, the first time I watched it, I did not expect it. In my, the back of my mind, I was wondering, I was like, well, what are they going to do with this Hans character? Because I could tell Anna and Kristoff. And I was like, maybe Hans and Elsa are going to be. Like, the first time I watched mm -hmm. it, I was actually very curious about it. Mm -hmm. so well, because he's said, running up to the castle saying, she must not be harmed. The queen must not be harmed. And he's real serious about it. Like, Yeah. So they got me with that one. I felt really manipulated because usually, I mean, a film can, in less than a millisecond, like one the camera can linger on the guy for a millisecond. There can be one tiny, most subtle nuanced musical cue. The tiniest thing can tip you off that this person isn't what they seem. And that never happens. He's I don't think it does happen. They have that really whimsical duet, um, Love is an Open Door. Yep. And then he's going to protect the city while she's gone. He does mention that he has brothers, but never in a sneaky way or a change of tone way. No, not at all. Yeah, nothing cinematic gives him away until the moment he decides not to kiss her. It's like, yeah. yeah. And well, because the medium of animation just doesn't lend itself very well to subtlety, they they probably knew that if they were to tip their hand in the slightest, that the people would have picked up on it. Yeah. They did that a lot with, it was a similar, I feel like, manipulation type villain with Tangled, the mm -hmm. mother Gothel pretending to love Rapunzel. But they hinted a lot more that Mother Gothel was not taking care of her, you know? And I think right. they even gave it away right at the beginning. But with Hans, they didn't really give you much to work with at all. Mother Gothel was like this abusive relationship, but was also, but she was, you well, you thought she was so sincere about it. Like, even though the relationship was messed up, that maybe there was a way for it to be redeemed. But then you eventually figure out, like, Gothel's totally off a rocker and needs to be go down mm -hmm. because she does they do say i love you to each other a lot which i think is kind of confusing for kids that's why when i saw this mm -hmm. Hans moment where he switched i was like kids are not going to understand the complexity of like this moment like a three-year-old are they going to understand that this guy was lying throughout the first three four right because why he i, I just it. wondered how kids processed that because obviously i was an adult by the time i watched this scene um, it's probably like kids watching the phantom menace because the character's motivations were political and if you're under 10, you have no idea what the heck that means. Um, well, this raises one of the more significant details surrounding just the, the context of this film, which is its appeal to kids. And I think a lot of people fail to really see past that with a lot of animation, uh, but this film especially. I mean, you look at all the, the marketing and merchandising 
little girls. Uh, you, you see Anna and Elsa's faces plastered on all kinds of everything. Yeah. Um, so, but when watching this movie, like if you're not aware of just the phenomenon uh, amongst children, you're not really thinking about how this this movie's going to be perceived by a younger audience unless you're, you're really tuned into that. Like it's enjoyable on its own merits and yeah. like they don't really pull punches thematically as you're going through the film. You, you're genuinely like concerned, I think, for, for all the characters and, and their um, struggles. I... Yeah, you really do because I I think like I said I was watching it originally with my sister because not long after Hans announces that he's the villain mm-hmm. Anna gets frozen and I remember it crossed my mind as an adult thinking, "Oh my gosh, like are they going to keep her frozen?" Like I really do think I held my breath in that moment mm-hmm. because they let her completely freeze. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, obviously they save her, but it the whole story is really it does even as an adult like it captures you throughout. Yeah, I just yeah, I think very you, visually. Mm-hmm. I think I think you care about all the characters. Um, the Kristoff maybe the least. Um, you there's that there is the the trope of um, girl it has, proclaims another guy as the true love, but you've spent more time with this other guy now, and he clearly has feelings for you, but he's trying to put those away, and she clearly has feelings for him, and is trying to put push those away, and it's like. Well, of course, they should end up together, but um, since it's aware of its tropes, it, since it's aware of its animation legacy of fairy tale tropes, and then subverts those, and then reverts back to them, there's I, like emotionally as an adult, uh, you know, there's some confusion there, which is fine, which is honestly even a good thing because, like, right, like relationships are confusing and they're whatever. But I'm not like, heck, I'm not like rooting my mind off for Kristoff. Like, go get the girl, go get the girl. Like, clearly you're supposed to be together. It's true love. It's kind of like, you should go get her because it's the right thing to do. And maybe you'll fall in love. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's much more subdued for me anyway. Um, so like this, like, obviously you don't want Anna, Anna to shrivel and die and freeze. Like, that's really gripping. But the like, this, this like, I don't know, kind of, there are other movies where like, when you're just at the edge of your seat, like hoping that the hero rescues the, the girl, the, the heroine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and it, I was I was noticing it's funny because they like they have all these set pieces in play to like make you be on the edge of your seat. Like he a ship is crashing down and he and Sven run through it. It's like you make this so epic uh, to maybe compensate for the fact that. Um, it compensates a harsh word. I, I just it's well, like. Kristoff oh, does start out like not even caring if Anna lives or dies, lives or dies yeah. out in the wilderness. Yeah. So he's come a long way. He wants to save his business. Yeah. yeah. It does come a long way. And maybe they set it up that way so that Elsa, you know, c- coming in and saving the day is an even like stronger moment because she's the one who. Well, wait. Sorry. D- yeah. Anna so- freezes and then Elsa <laughs> saves her. Um, it's it's that's interesting. Interesting Let's talk about this scene. The, yeah. the, yeah. the blizzard clears away, and suddenly they're all within fifty feet of each other. Right, on the ocean, the fjord. And Kristoff is running after Anna, and Hans is about to kill Elsa. And, and Anna saves Anna, Elsa. 
Anna's like a f like level of dis disrepair kind of is they really played with that meter. It's like, oh, she's really frozen. She can't move. Well, now she's well now she can now she can run now it, and like well, uh, it's it's to save her sister. I mean, save yeah. her sister. So the she last saved her, and then the love in turn. Kristoff so ended up not being at all necessary uh, after his whole, you know, run through the woods and avoiding dodging the crashing ship and everything. And that's all, that's fine. I like him. There's no problem at all. He was doing the right thing by trying to save his friend. Uh, and then on, on a, but any, I don't know, man, that, that running in front of the gunshot trope to save someone's life. That's especially when it's a sword and they even use slow motion, like, what do you think of it, Philip? <laughs> You're the master um, of this. Movie. It works thematically, but I'm just saying it. it I'm yeah. saying like, of course, it works in the narrative, but it is annoying. It was done in an annoying, contrived way to me. Like, kind of, that's a lot of this movie for me. Is like everything thematically and narratively is where it should be and what it needs to be, but it's in an annoying way. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't think it could have been done better necessarily. Um, I yeah, the the whole like jumping in front of a bullet thing is probably played out but um we should make them we should make a hall <laughs> of of bullet takers and like stoic and anna and like all these characters who have ever took it took a bullet for someone they should get their own little hall of ceremony <laughs> yes exactly and their little statues should all be them in that like diagonal <laughs> diving pose um off the off the statue's face oh my gosh yeah i it's it's very powerful it's certainly uh a christ metaphor where you have a character sacrificing him or herself and you know subsequently being resurrected as a result of the sacrifice um i think yeah it's 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 greater greater love has no one than this than he laid down her life than she laid down her life for her friend or sister in this case it provides a subtle moment for Elsa to find, uh, you know, a certain, like a, a less extreme form of catharsis where she's simply, you know, embracing the statue of her sister, weeping. Um, it, it's just such a human moment. My favorite statue that Anna turns into is that it's highly reminiscent of what happens to a character in Final Fantasy XIII she commits an act of sacrifice and then turns into a crystal and then her hmm. husband has to try to uncrystallize her. My closest parallel for this moment would be in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when Spock oh. sacrifices himself. Um, the, the scene between the two of them, you know, you are and, and um, what is it? You have been and always shall be my friend. Um, Wow. I haven't it's seen that, but very that touching. is very, very sweet. Mm -hmm. After 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 Anna sacrificed herself for Elsa and you know, we've got Kristoff and Sven, they're running and they're on ice. They shouldn't have stopped. Sven should have eviscerated Hans with his with his horns. Just plowed him right <laughs> over, impaled him. Like we saw what Sven could do to the cake in Frozen Fever. I think they're planning on doing that in the live action of Frozen, actually. What? <laughs> just yeah what what do you what are you what are you saying to me right now what are you kidding yeah i'm totally kidding i don't think they'll do a live action of frozen they're making the live action? Frozen? Well, they, they probably will at some point no. let's hope 
unless the whole live action thing just totally goes down the drain. Um, but there is the Broadway after, version after Hunchback. Um, Jody, have you seen the Broadway Frozen? No, I've looked at all the costumes and I've heard the music, but I, I've had friends who have gone to it. I think it's really good, but it's the same as the, you know, it, it doesn't really have a unique, it's the same. It's it's the same story, yeah. like the same songs, which I mean, it's fine. You would still love to see it live, but you can see it live at the Hyperion at Disneyland, right? Yeah, I've seen the Disneyland stage version plenty of times. I'm sure Broadway is amazing, but mm-hmm. I... I I'm not dying to go see Frozen again. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, because it's, it's just you don't have the magic. I, I watched the Let It Go, a clip of that online, and it's just kind of cringe because, you know, <laughs> as, as fancy as Broadway, as theatrical effects can be, yeah. it just, it's not, it's not, it's the not same. real magic, no. And it, it's, like, it's like Beauty and the Beast live. God, God for never again. No, stop. Wait. Stop. Okay, well, your perspective on the Emma Watson movie though is is somewhat favorable right you um oh well um no uh, well uh, uh utterly indifferent and well okay no it's really stupid they never should have made it oh. but I was glad they did and I was excited for it mm-hmm. at the same time <laughs> I was like I, I'm like don't make this movie but I am definitely gonna go see it when they do because mm-hmm. like I, I mean uh no, uh, the, well, okay, Be Our Guest. Be Our Guest is the problem. If you take out Be Our Guest, you can kind of get away with it. But that Be Our Guest live is just, makes me want to vomit. And, <laughs> and in the, the, this one, it, was, it, was, it looked like a window screensaver. That was a common critique. It was just pathetic and junky. And Ewan mm-hmm. McGregor kind of sucked. Uh, I love him. I, well, you also, <sighs> never mind. I'm not going to gossip about a celebrity behind his back. But anyway, um, no, yeah. So the, the beauty, no, my beauty. That was a beauty and the beast was a well, story, but I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go for a loop with that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate. Oh. I generally hate live adaptations of, of animated films. Generally. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you can't ever replicate that. The magic, really, of if you're not trying to, if you're not trying to replicate it, then mm-hmm. that gives you if you're doing an adaptation mm-hmm. like that's one thing artistically creatively but literally yeah beauty and the beast was we're just going to do beauty and the beast but live and then they made changes that were dumb so anyway mm-hmm. the party is over close the gates what elsa no no wait <gasps> give me my glove elsa please please i can't live like this anymore then leave What did I ever do to you? Enough, Anna. No, why? Why do you shut me out? Why, why do you shut the world out? What are you so afraid of? I said enough! Sorcery. I knew there was something dubious going on here. So, so this conversation has sort of spun up in a variety of directions, um, which is yeah, it's hard with Frozen, I think. Well, yeah, it it really is just such a you know beast to unpack. 
uh, especially considering that, like I'm such a big fan and um, you know, the, there's just so many aspects to the movie and, and it's, cultural impact um it's you know from from inception to reception we should have done um, it on the song just, let it go we still probably could <laughs> that, that could just be our entire episode we could i mean but yeah maybe we'll we'll have more conversations about frozen um further down the line are there any other you know maybe plot details or um other things that you wanted to get to mm. No, my only other fun fact was they made the animators do like a sister summit to learn about like sibling relationships before like working on this movie. Because they're all a bunch of nerds who know nothing about family and friendship and just sitting in the dark and drawing. And relationships yeah. and bonds. No. That, did they, they really, they made everyone attend a seminar? This is how sibling. A sister summit. Sister. It's true. That's in the, I remember reading that fact. That sounds it's it's not as if making these movies is simply a matter of like taking your basic knowledge off the top of your mind and applying it, you know, in a way that's effective. Like you you have to dig right. deep. Very good point. Into I, I would love to sit at a sister summit with a sketch pad and then just like, okay, these are the little gestures. These are the little the ways they move their hands when they talk to each other, like all that. Oh, they did that when the when Elsa and Anna are kids. They like watched real children play and like play with each other when oh, they were. That's amazing. They were just watching kids at the yeah. park and drawing them. That's not creepy at all. <laughs> do it, do it in LA. It's not frowned upon at all. Can I draw your kids like one of my friends? <laughs> okay. Well, every detail just has to be so meticulously researched, and and it's so dense. Every frame has so much going on. Exactly. I mean, and animation is the hypothesis of that state. Yeah. I mean, you're you're acting while you're drawing, like you're feeling and embody. You have to get up and move and like be the character that you're working on. Like, you can't just be you know closed off and tense like Elsa and like me when I'm recording these podcasts. What's that? I said you have to break free. I was just going along with what you were saying. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And Dawson. Yes. They even had to take a crash course in meteorology before they could start animating. That's amazing. Like the artists had to. You got to know your stuff. You, that that's a really that's fascinating that you say that the Disney does that because my animation professor when I first went to college and I was an idiot I was like why do I have to take calculus in order to study animation I hate math I like art and he's like, um, animation students should be smart enough to pass calculus, and they need to be. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not smart enough, but I actually got to I got to uh, was worthy of animating. Bam, laying down the gavel. I, that's that's sort of my philosophy with everything. It's like, hey, you you got these dreams? Well, you you should be smart enough to at least handle some of the obstacles yeah, along. If you're not way. intelligent, you're just you're just done. That's it. That's not true. Yeah. Which, so then that's so funny because that well, I think about this a lot sometimes though I get so annoyed there are like a lot of people who are like successful and have money and then they they're like oh I'm just the idea guy or I'm just the idea girl like I just come up with ideas and I have other people do it for me and it's like well, how did you get so far if all you because of their charisma and magnetism that enables them to assemble uh, people around them they win friends and influence 
yeah, an, an operation. Hey, hey, if Oprah Winfrey is listening to the podcast right now, she's going to think we're stealing her topic because she was just talking about Was this. she? Oh. So Oprah, if you're listening, we're Oprah, sorry. let's hang out. <laughs> I want to find out how to become a successful business entrepreneur while having no intelligence and skills. Thank you. If you want to be the ideas guy, that's fine. You just have to like really stand out and be... Um, Dawson really does stand out. Have you no, heard the stuff he's been spitting out to me? I'm not saying you aren't. Um, I did have the best idea for a book, though, this morning. And i it's such a winner. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay. Now, Tune in next week to hear Dawson's amazing idea. I can idea. just see it on, at Barnes & Noble. You walk in and it's like best sell, best sellers. And then it's just this. Mm -hmm. Philip, you can cut all this out, right? Well, this is oh, yeah. Do you get mad when we talk like this? No, I'm. I could sit here all day, and because I'm so starved of human contact. Uh, well, actually, That's, I, I, I do guess give... human contact. Frozen's biggest fan <laughs> embodies its main character. <laughs> How does that happen? Kingdom of Isolation in L.A. Oh. Here we go. I mean, that is L.A. in a nutshell. Okay, so hilarious to like go from watching Mulholland Drive to watching like Frozen. I was like, oh, there's too many similarities, and like, it, but in all the wrong ways. Uh, like, please elaborate. I noticed this too when I saw Mulholland Drive. I mean, I compare everything to Frozen. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, a, a Australian actress uh, Naomi Watts, right? Yes, yeah, yes, Naomi Watts, and then Lauren Harry or something. It took. It, I had to read the Roger Ebert review to be fully satisfied after my viewing of Mulholland Drive because I, I was kind of a wreck after that. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily like recommend it. I, it's, man. Uh, well, I mean, it's so it's it, it's so anxious. It's got so much anxiety, and like fear, and you know. Then there's that like. There's there's feminine companionship, mm -hmm. but then it goes to lays that you don't see in Frozen, obviously. But great, well, a great uh, movie for an aspiring actor to watch oh, as well. Uh, slash horrible movie for an aspiring actor to watch. Yeah. Um, I have not seen this. Uh, it's a it's a David Lynch film. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's like, he was kind of like a niche like indie. I, I mean, like. You know, you is cinephile, like you were really cool if you like David Lynch, but I think he's now become like one of the most popular versions of that. So it might be. I don't yeah. Know. He, I mean, the, you've got like Terrence Malick, who also does very abstract art piece yeah. type films. Uh, David Lynch, though, is kind of more on the horror side of things. Yeah. And they're never like particularly scary. They're just really, or like not typically, that's what makes them so scary is that they're not. They're very, well, I to start talking about. Well, have you seen, Jody, uh, Stranger Things? Oh, you haven't seen Stranger Things? Um, I, I what would be a good... only watch the movies that we're going to talk about on the podcast. Have you seen Twin Peaks? Twin no. Peaks. no. Lost? Lost? Yes, on DVD. Mm. Oh, sweet. Good. Yeah, that's... Similar in style to a lot of David Lynch. Yeah, it's very dreamy. It's like, and that's what the entire film, you have no idea it's going to be this when you're watching it, but it ends up being a literal dream where it has a, this narrative and you think it's like logically. Wait, at the end next. he wakes up and it's a dream? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. It, no one, oh. there's no, there's no straightforward narrative. 
at all. Like it's so abstract. Like you think there's going to be like, it's this, but you, so you know how when you dream, you're like in a storyline and you think it makes sense, but then you wake up and you're like, none of that made any sense. Yeah. That uh, happens to me all the time. It captures that perfectly. Like, and then it, it decays and characters become different characters. They, the like the environments and the, the people and the circumstances, they all change. There's scenes that you think are going to add up to each other, but they don't add up. It's just, it's a complete, it's a nightmare. It's like a dream and then it becomes a nightmare and then you wake That up. stresses me out. Oh yeah, it's extremely stressful. And then it was like time to watch Frozen. Um, and so that was nice. Uh, actually, I have no idea really how these films connect other than that. Um, well, I mean, it, uh, the anxiety of trying to be an actor was a you know a huge thing in Mulholland Drive and then you're watching Frozen and you're like this is done by people who have made it and they're telling just like a, a good story you know do, do you want to hear uh, my sort of ultimate thesis on what Frozen is trying to communicate or yes, what it does communicate ultimate. why would you don't hold that back um, here I'll intro you I'll say so Philip why don't you tell us your ultimate thesis of you know, what Frozen is trying to convey to the audience. I think it's trying to tackle the most fundamental struggles that any human could face, you know, not from the outside or, or sort of any exterior conflict, but rather the internal struggles that, that people are constantly battling and having to overcome if they want to reach certain um, milestones in life, like each uh, obstacle that we kind of face in our lives on our path to adulthood and maturity are uh, are kind of outlined in Frozen in uh, in summation. Uh, th that being the you know number one, the ability to come to grips with latent uh, inherent fear that we have. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, number two, finding ways to channel that that anxiety through relationships. Um, and um, yeah, I, I think that the movie masterfully conveys both of those things. Um, you, you see, and each character sort of embody each of the two main females, you know, embody um, the, these differing sides of the spectrum. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. A lot of people will say that um, the opposite of love is hate. Um, when really, um, hate, you know, the opposite of love, I think, ultimately is fear. Um, and fear is what sort of squelches well, our expression. What you mean by love and depends on what you mean by fear. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there, there are multiple spectrums of, of these emotions. Um, but you know whereas anger is sort of the uh, you know love with with a sort of annoyance twist uh fear is, is sort of the the cold iciness of the absence of, of love um you're yeah. you're afraid when you feel alone or isolated or in unfamiliar you're unfamiliar territory it's fear is a response to being in chaos is mm -hmm. um, very insightful love can yeah, grow when you're secure and you're in the familiar and when there's mm -hmm. order um yeah i think i think for i think frozen is 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 very simple and 
basic mm -hmm. and shallow and superficial. And I know those words have very negative connotations. And I think you, there you, but it's not, it's not bad that it's so simple. The movie tells you exactly what it's about and its first lines and its first song. Beware a frozen heart, conceal, don't feel. You automatically know everything you need to know about this character and what the problem is and how she needs to overcome it. Okay, she needs to feel and not conceal. And you need to have a warm heart. I, I would argue that it's not, it's like not that. superficial. Uh, it, it excels in the superficial. It's, it's official, yeah. It's like it but, just is, yeah. It, 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 um, it, it has a nice shiny veneer that encompasses a much deeper problem. Yeah. Well, but um, if, if you're willing to, you don't a much deeper. What's the much deeper problem? Uh, the the problem driving the plot, uh, the problem of you know repression uh, and um, yeah. just distance. I, and yeah. I I find it hard to swallow all the circumstances of how she got into that mess in the first place. Like I I think that is a powerful. That's fair. Theme, I think yeah. Um, and that's, you know, but that's whatever. And I, it's like for kids too. like, obviously people can live with something that they don't understand and people can be afraid of them and they can live with that their whole life. It's a little weird mm -hmm. when you're in a castle and the troll literally just said, um, fear is going to make this worse. And the dad right in front of the troll says, okay, well, we're going to lock her away. And the troll then should have said, mm -hmm. actually, my Lord, that would read fear. Like that's the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah, a child. that's that's like, literally what they do in the how to how it should have ended YouTube. Mm -hmm. Oh, do they? Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I am a genius, and I didn't even know it because those guys are geniuses. No, I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I I, I like what they do. Like with the Last Jedi, how it should have ended when when Admiral Akbar took the reins. I got emotional. I started crying because I love him so much. Well, that's all besides the point. Uh, this, this is a great film. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, the reason why they do what they decide, I, I think it's a measure of you know, Elsa's parents, um, at least for the time being, like they're going to limit her contact with people until she gets her powers under control. That's the, it, it's only meant to be temporary, yeah. but then it just spirals out of control. It could have really used some scenes where like you saw the parents being dicks, like where like, Elsa, you can't get this under control, so we're gonna take away your your PlayStation now, or like I don't, or just, just they were. I mean, there was a scene where he was like, "Here, the gloves will help," you know, kind of a thing, and that is, I don't know, mm -hmm. just not. They weren't abusive enough. They weren't mm -hmm. a, like, and you didn't, and you didn't see that, and you didn't see them struggle with it enough. It it just wasn't the, and then of course, I've a problem I've always had is I just don't know how much contact Anna and Elsa have actually had. So by the time the coronation arrives and they're standing there together, I just don't know what to feel about their relationship because I have no idea. Yeah, I wish they could have filled that out a little bit and bulked it out. I mean, regardless, I think what Philip, you know, takes from the story is like very, very accurate. That's the way I perceive the characters and their and their growth throughout the story. But I agree with you too, Dawson. Like it would be a really different story if you had a little more like context of what their childhood and their like adolescence looked like. Mm -hmm. Because if Anna was genuinely knocking on the door every single day asking the sister to come out, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't know. You don't know how the parents were. Were they very, very loving? You know, I'm assuming they were. Right. But it's hard, it's hard to know wh- where they're coming like, from. Well in, well-intentioned, yeah. but just dumb. And like, and did Anna and Elsa <laughs> literally, literally never see each other? Or, or did they once in a while? I mean, were I, like to, I like to imagine they were tutored together on occasion. And, and maybe they played a few games of chess and together. See, that's the problem. That's all well and good. I like to mm-hmm. imagine is you know but that's that's it that's all that's all you're left with you can only imagine and that that's so you can so that's what hurts there are, story later you on. know there are some spin-off books that oh don't make me read the books <laughs> yeah <laughs> no. like one that i have that's about the two sisters and and there it does show them together post um power mind wipe yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um but yeah not not in nearly a you know warm and what's the word affectionate way as as before then i'll tell you my favorite thing about this film um and that i am so thankful for and that what i really hope it did and which i assume and and believe it did like jody you'd been talking a lot about you know the demand for it and kids response and sister summit all that stuff i (laughs) hope this film inspired sisters to love each other to appreciate each other to to see each other's strengths and and faults and like really dig into each other and build strong relationships with each other. I think that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful thing and such a beautiful message. Um, and and yeah, because I think I think film can have the power to. I mean, you know, maybe some sisters had kind of a weird or rocky relationship or like didn't understand each other or maybe, and maybe they wanted to, because I think this is another thing that siblings do. I think they really want to understand each other. I think they- But you have to push through that awkwardness to get to it, kind of. Yeah. And if this kind of like broke down some of those barriers, and if you're walking around and you're seeing, you're always, you're seeing these images of Anna and Elsa together and like how inspiring that is and how cool and motivating that is to like- to be a strong team and be a strong unit. Um, so I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you saw that, like from, from children, young girls, young sisters, siblings who watched this film when they were little. And if they were like, and if they were together, like that was something they bonded over, let's watch Frozen or let's play Frozen or let's, you know, you know, make believe and play with the toys and all that stuff that might build this generation of like really strong sister relationships that kind of lasts forever. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to, you can't really give any single film too much credit for having that much power over something. But I don't know, sometimes you can, like, I think. You, I mean, you can, I know. Yeah. I mean, I was a grown up when I watched it. But like I said, I was watching it with my older sister, Paula. And even though it was a movie, like, at the end of it, I do feel like we felt closer from watching it. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, magically, like, now we're best friends or whatever. But I do think movies do have... They do. You know, they can inspire you to push through things that you might not really feel like it, you know? On the flip side, something that can happen is you can watch something that you want so badly and then, you, like, say you have a, a bad relationship or, like, a not good relationship with a sibling and then you watch that movie and you see it and you want that and then you try to go for it, but then it gets shut down and then you, like, you actually end up creating more conflict and then you become more resentful because here's this sparkling ideal of a relationship that now you can't have or that you feel like you can't have and it mm-hmm. maybe gets worse and worse and but that's obviously like movie's fault like buddy from the incredibles 
shut out by Mr. Incredible. Yeah. That's a really good example. Pushed away by the very ideal he strove to become. That that breeds so much resentment and then malevolence, and that's exactly how villains are made. I wonder what happened to Sheev Palpatine when he was a little boy, if that made him become Emperor of the Galaxy. Wait, Frozen. Philip did a beautiful monologue about what Frozen meant to him, and then Dawson went, nah, not really. I I mean, sometimes the brightest light the brightest light burns the shortest. So you have to be careful about letting the passions fly. That's Romeo and Juliet. Heck yeah. Well done. Gosh. Prior <laughs> so Lawrence, it, everybody. As as much as I love Frozen, like and and have allowed it to become this driving force in my in my life, there's also sort of a you know, there can easily be a uh, a detrimental side to that. And and maybe we'll see that explored in the sequel. Like maybe Elsa will have sort of a, a harsh come down off of her you know, revelation in the first film. And she's having to grapple with, with some of her demons that are kind of resurging. There, um, there, as long as there's some scenes where she's like being really awkward at parties, like Princess Azula in uh, the <laughs> Ember Island Players episode of Avatar. Sorry, Jody, if we're saying more things that you don't know, but like someone who's been in isolation their whole life trying to like be social. And that's, yeah. there's going to be those scenes and she's going to totally screw up and like, and then she's going to cry and Anna's going to But at, at least she's making an effort. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think there's really great potential in, in a sequel for this film, which is. Yeah. I mean, well, may, maybe she's got it figured out for the most part, but who knows? Jody? I was just going to say, well, I feel like people's um, hopes are very high with the sequel. So I'm sure they're doing all they can to nail it. Oh, I, yeah, it, it'll be tough. I, I don't want to wait until the movie releases to see it, honestly. As much as I can be very averse to spoilers, I, I'm just too close to Frozen to not, like, want to have a little bit of dampener. Like, it should be, it should be a part. You should be a part of the process, of the creative process. And, like, you, sh- you, you know... I mean, I wish I can't presume to, <laughs> you know, no. operate at that level. But if I, you know, I'd be open to being brought in to at least observe the process and, um, you know, be privy to all the details before. Well, if you get cancer, the final product. we'll call up Disney. <laughs> Your make a wish. Your make- <laughs> I want to write the sequel for Frozen. Uh, because <laughs> because I might go into cardiac arrest the moment the titles you know start on the film. Ah uh, na na hey na na we are doing this again. They have they have to. I I mean I'm sure they will. Well, or no or a darker more like graybeard version to set the tone that this is going to be. Because I want to I just want to yeah. see a promotional image of Kristoff in full armor riding. Uh, an armored Sven, like, mm. like, That'd winter cool. is coming again. <laughs> but I, I mean, there should be a battle. There, there was a war in Scandinavia in the early 1800s mm-hmm. between Sweden and Norway, and and something like that could play into this, you know, the frozen story. I mean, I'm curious as to how much of the real world is involved in in the frozen world. Um, you, you get sense that there there are these other dignitaries from seemingly uh countries from our real world a guy with a french accent and a guy with a spanish accent is what 
still the same, yes. Ow! What's that for? I'm digging a snow anchor. Okay, what if we fall? There's 20 feet of fresh powder down there. It'll be like landing on a pillow. Hopefully. <sighs> okay, Anna. On three. Okay. One. You tell me when. I'm ready to go. Two. I was born ready. Yes. Calm down. What the? Whoa! That happened. Man, am I out of shape. There we go. Yeah, in conclusion, I mean, this movie appropriately uh, feels kind of like putting on a, a glove to me. It's like, you know, it just fits. But you're not supposed to put on the glove, Philip. You're supposed to Yeah, that's to take the opposite of the what glove. the movie taught us. That's the that's the that's my uh, dilemma. Yeah. It's you know the movie is, is my I'm the very thing you swore to destroy. You you feel everything the movie made you wanna feel and then you and then you take it too far and then you end up becoming like the thing it was you it was, it was designed to combat. Well that's that's the fear. Yeah. I, I mean Ultimately, you just have to embrace love. You know, don't get too attached to, <laughs> like, embrace like. Embrace uh, love or don't get attached. Which one is it, Phil? Shrek is love. Shrek is life. <laughs> well, I would say attached to love itself, and life oh, itself. Yes, but not necessarily the affects or the. Uh... Loving is better than loving being in love. Maybe. I don't know. What does love feel like, Dawson? Oh my. Um, yeah, I mean, love is a verb. Treat it, treat it more as a verb than as a noun. It's an certainly. open door, though, and an open love doors are nouns. And open doors never close. But you also need to have boundaries, and you can't marry someone you just met. See, this movie's so full of contradictions. It just, I just. Well, what we're doing right now is the now antithesis. We're, yeah, we're just jocking. of. Well, because because we're focusing, we're not being in the moment. We're focusing on a specific moment in time, that being this film, and sort of lingering on it, uh, you know, in a, in an analytical sense. Uh, when when this film is attempting to propel us into being present and engaging on a moment by moment basis. You know, in, in real life, in real time. Like saying, why are you still here? Why are you still recording this podcast? Go. <laughs> go out and live and love. Exactly. Yeah, but so, good luck, uh, though. Be careful. <laughs> Dangerous world out there. It Justin is. is, like, totally awake this time around. He I'm, is coming back every time you, you say something. I do not bring have a migraine. I'm sorry. That's true. You did have kind of a, a yeah, migraine. Yeah, last, last episode, episode was terrible, and I'm sorry. Um, and I could be very. I careful. still liked it. I'm trying to talk in a higher register, though, because my low voice doesn't carry well. On well, no, I, and it's important to have that kind of energy that enables you. Yeah, when you're, you know, low on ju on sauce on juice, you know, it's low on the sauce. <laughs> low on the sauce. Yeah, it, it watch Frozen and drink heavily in the mornings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's important to just be bringing that that flow that a game uh which i unfortunately do not do Stop. nearly enough well that's what that's it's don't you say you say these things and like that doesn't help 
I mean, it, well, but also being vulnerable is a good. It's like, oh my he gosh. Loves Philip. It's all. It's all a paradox. Life is a is a never ending paradox. It's it's yin yang. It's the it's two serpents circling each other. One is order. One is chaos. But each is open to the to becoming mm -hmm. the other and taking on the attributes of the yeah other. i mean that's that's why you need the catharsis of let it go but also the the purgation of you know love will thaw you need to thaw the ice <sighs> <laughs> yeah but what if you have bad breath then kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh all right so this, this has been fun we've been delving you know pontificantly in into all these you know petty subjects uh and and you know heavy petty subjects <laughs> oh that that's not right I... <laughs> Heavy petty. Jody's heavy petting the screen right now, uh, and dancing, doing the Fortnite dance. Now. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our episode on Frozen. <laughs> um, there's a lot more that I would happily dive into, but um, you can only uh, cover so much in a in an hour long podcast, which uh, we've gone well over. But you can pre-order the book, but Frozen. <laughs> A thought heart. No, a that's okay. Uh, yeah, this Frozen being the namesake of this podcast, uh, my personal favorite film. Um, and thank you guys so much. Thank you, Dawson and Jody, for joining me in, in talking about this. Uh, until next time, I'm not burned out <laughs> in the slightest. Thank you. Thanks, Jody. I'm just getting warmed up, honestly. Farewell, everyone. Thank you for listening to our lucky number 13 episode of the Thodcast. That's all I'm going to say. You're the best part of this whole thing. Hey, thanks for listening to a systematic analytical diagnosis and analysis of Frozen. And uh, <laughs> I love diving deeply into Disney animated films. Good well, time. you won't get any better than that, folks. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Have a magical day and uh, warm hugs to everyone. Oh, that's a good one. Warm hugs for everyone. You should record this. Are it's recording. recording. Okay. LA is disgusting. After sitting outside, 40 feet away from Alden freaking Aaron Wright, I go into the coffee shop, and there's a guy wearing a hat that says movies, and he's writing a screenplay. L.A. is disgusting. <laughs> You're going to wear your hat that says movies and write your screenplay in a coffee shop? <laughs> I wonder what this guy's into. I wonder what he's <laughs> oh, Are you a try-hard, too? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Everyone, and then they're talking about movies and I'm sitting and the guy right so Alden's 40 feet away and I'm like I should get closer to sit by him but that no so these two guys sit down and Mr. Russian guy is talking about his script and he's talking with a composer he, uh, I want you to make it sound like E.T. you know and the, and then the 
redheaded bearded composer is like, yeah, that's like what I was thinking. I hate all Oh no, this. I'm the redheaded composer of this group. <laughs> but you don't have a beard and are you redhead? No. <laughs> now, now you have a Nordic beard because it's braided. It's got a little. Yeah, Elsa braid in honor of this whole thing that we're doing. Mm, that's I hot. That's that. hot. <laughs>